take our Bibles tonight, turn over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 tonight. <clears throat> We're going to begin reading verse 1. I'll be talking to you over these next weeks about growing in the Christian life. Growing in the Christian life. And tonight we're going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 9, and we're going to start there. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. (coughs) Excuse me. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, excuse me, the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for, the, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. That seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the, thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went on, went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, said Brother Saul, Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting that he calls him Brother Saul? That's interesting, isn't it? And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. When he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his, this name in G- Jerusalem and came thither? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm really messing up the words today. And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound into the chief priests? <clears throat> but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled, and uh, Jews, wow, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates daily, night to kill him. (laughs) 
Woo, ha, ha. Well, I'll tell you what, that's something. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. <coughs> and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest read all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Well, that was a mouthful. In the verses before us, you know, we have the dramatic account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. An amazing conversion. He was brought face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the risen Lord. And Saul's conversion was sudden, and in a real sense, it's somewhat of a sample conversion for us. It's kind of an example of the kind of thing that God can do, and the kind of things that God is still doing today. The latter part of Acts chapter 2, verse 47, is indicative of what God has in mind for the church. Look, if you would, in chapter 2, verse 47. The Bible says, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And that's exactly what God wants to do today. And that's what His goal and His intent is. That He add to the church daily such as should be saved. There's no reason in the world why people can't be saved today. No reason at all. For this same Jesus that Paul met face to face on the road to Damascus is the same Jesus that they can come face to face with even today. However wonderful and exciting that the conversion of the apostle was, it's his post-conversion experience that I want to look at. I'm talking about the things that transpired immediately after his conversion. We're talking about growing in the Christian life. And tonight, I want to begin with the very basic steps or some very basic thoughts, some first steps of that new life. And I think it's interesting. And I think it's, in many cases, things that possibly you've done, but I would be remiss to tell you that I think we've got a real handle on it. Tonight, we believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Tonight, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to transform and change a life. At least we believe that if it's us. But I'm here to say tonight that I believe God wants to see many people saved. Lives transformed and changed. And I believe He wants to see people taking steps in their Christian lives whether they've been saved for just a few weeks or a few months or a few years or a lifetime. 
we're going to see that God intends us to take some steps. So let's take just a few moments and pray, and then we'll move along here and note the Apostle Paul and some steps we need to take. Before you check out, because you think you've been there, done it, I want to encourage you to listen closely. Because I am convinced today that most of us don't believe God can do it in anyone else's life but ours tonight. And I promise you, you are not special. Any more special than that guy out there. God is no respecter of persons. What He did in your life, He can do in anyone's life. As a matter of fact, sadly enough, maybe He could do much more. And I just want to encourage you to listen tonight. Because whether or not you've been involved in the aspect or you've accomplished what God says, some of the first steps, you ought to be helping others to accomplish them. And so let's make sure we are very well grounded that we may be able to share with others their great need of these steps. Because ultimately, we're responsible to ensure that they do follow through. Father, help us in these next minutes. We're grateful for this time together. These, Father, that have gathered tonight are faithful. They're in the services. They're involved in the work. Lord, for them, we are so grateful. Lord, we ask tonight that we who are here faithfully would truly get a very real grasp of these basic concepts, these three simple things. May we be abiding in them as well as teaching and training others. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for what you will accomplish. Drive home these truths. Help us not only to know them as fact, but to be able to share them as truth. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, the Apostle Paul was baptized. After his conversion, and of course it was a glorious conversion indeed, He was quick to confess Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now again, the Lord commands us to be baptized. He commands it. In the book of Matthew, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Great Commission is often divided into three parts. Saving or winning, baptizing, and then ultimately going about teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So in this particular case, the Apostle Paul is saved. He meets Christ on the road to Damascus. The Bible teaches us that without any real delay, he is baptized. Being baptized is as much God's command for the New Testament church, the New Testament believer, as any other he plainly outlines in Scripture. There's no difference. You say, but I've been baptized, so I'm good. What about that convert you led to Christ? I mean, how how pushy are you about this command? How easy it is for us to win someone to the Lord and then say, well, I don't want to push them. I don't want to seem like I'm being a little too forward. Hey, then you are permitting them to be rebellious and disobedient against God. Either that or you've not informed them, you've not told them. Listen, their life... Their future, their future joy depends on being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You hold that joy in your hands to fail to tell them that baptism is one of the first steps of salvation is to withhold the blessing and the joy and the, 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 the um, hope that they have in Christ. Baptism's commanded. 
Baptism is not something that Pastor O'Donnell says you need to do. Baptism is something that God says you need to do. And if asked by somebody why I need to be baptized, don't say, because my church says so, or my pastor says so. Tell them, because God says so. And show them the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. The Lord commands it, but also... Apostle Paul is baptized. We see some Bible converts. Examples, if you will, of baptism. Not only was it commanded in the New Testament, but there were some examples of it. We see these Bible converts. Think about John. John had baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. Why in the world would Jesus, being perfect, need to be baptized? If it was for salvation. Baptism has nothing at all to do with your salvation or your cleansing. You are not cleaned, you're not cleansed one bit by baptism. Nobody gets their sin washed away. Nobody comes in, goes in the water dirty and comes out clean except the guy who forgot to take a bath. And that is no lie. And I'm not even, I mean, you, you can, I mean, I, I mean, we're trying to make a little, a uh, little bit lightheartedness, but I'm going to tell you something. There are churches that believe that when you go into that water, you go in a sinner, you come out forgiven. There is nothing special about the water baptism. You, can, you, can, you go in that water right now, uh, it, it's not going to do anything for you except get you wet. And that is it. And I don't care if it's been blessed. I don't care if it's called holy water. I don't care what you call it. It's H2O. Jesus, Jesus was baptized by John in the river Jordan. And I want you to see in Matthew chapter 3, very quickly, he says this about that baptism. And remember, when you start talking to your convert about baptism, you need to point them to the Bible. And then once you've showed them that baptism is a biblical command of God, then you need to begin to show them some examples of it in the Bible. It's important that they see that it was a, a pattern established. Now, when you, you get serious about this and you've led someone to the Lord, you need to take that little track that I put together and you need to utilize that to help you a little bit. Your map to God's blessing in the Christian life. There's not one soul winner that shouldn't have one of those on them if they're dealing with converts, especially when you go to, do your re, you go to, uh, go to that Christian, that person you led to Christ. You ought to give everybody you lead to Christ this track. And then you ought to go back the next week if you haven't lined them up for baptism already and say, now listen, I just have this track. Remember I gave you that? I hope you looked at it. Last week you made this decision. Let's look at salvation as a fact, not a feeling. Let's run back through that real quick. And, and now that we've uh, identified this, uh, you notice your sins are forgiven. Your Father is God. Your hope is heaven. Your future is bright. John 3.16 tells us that. You're saved how long? Everlasting life. That's right. You're saved forever. Hmm. Well, you've got that one settled then, don't you? You're, you've already made stop number one on your map to God's blessing in the Christian life. You've already stopped there. Salvation is a fact, not a feeling. You are saved and know it, right? Yes. Well, guess what? Well, let's see what the next stop is. Hmm. Be baptized. And then let's go through that thing. And then you take them through it. 
You open up the Bible and you show them the Scriptures. You don't say, my church says you need to be baptized. You don't say, my Sunday school teacher talked about it. You don't say the pastor. He always says it's a big deal, so that I guess we need to be baptized. No, you got a Bible. The pastor has no authority outside of that book right there. None. Take that thing and show them right through it. Boy, that's a blessing right there. That thing right there will save you a lot of heartache. And if you'll go through and study it and learn this track, you'll know more than probably 75% of pastors out there. And that ain't no lie. And by the way, you ought to be able to go to verses without having to look at something all the time. We're going to see that that's part of the steps too. But anyway, Paul the Apostle, he was baptized. Jesus was baptized. Matthew chapter 3. Again, I love this passage. I like it a lot. It says over here in verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. To fulfill all righteousness. We could simply say it was the right thing to do. He was preparing for his earthly ministry, his visible earthly ministry. And before he did that, he wanted to make sure that he had set the example and set the standard. And listen, before you can go forward in your public ministry, you need to be baptized. And so does every one of your converts. I have watched over and over again as people have put baptism on the back burner. Guess what never happens in their life? They do not grow. You cannot get past the first step. You always have to do the first step before you take a second step. And I want to impress upon every mind and every heart in this room, baptism is absolutely necessary if you want to see growth in a life. Your new convert will not grow till you get them in those waters. They won't. You can believe they will, and you can say it's up to them. It's their responsibility. Last time I checked, the only time that my little baby boy or girl got in the water without me helping them was the closest they ever came to drowning. They need you to take them to those waters. Or they would just simply drown, because they wouldn't have no clue what that's about up there. You have to explain it, you have to encourage it, and you have to make it happen. And they need to see and understand that it's absolutely necessary. They may not fully comprehend it, just like you don't fully comprehend some things, and neither do I. How long has it been since you figured out what repentance is all about? You got it all handled yet? Nope, you don't know. You don't have it all figured out, do you? You don't have it all figured out. I come to you today and say, explain repentance, explain regeneration, explain... You'd go... All I know, preacher, is that I trusted Christ and received Him into my life. And I'd say, well, sorry, if you can't explain it, then you really never got it. You'd say, well, I know I got Him. Listen, you get in that water. You get them in that water sometimes. They don't have to understand everything. We live in a day where everybody thinks that they have to have every explanation and understand every single thing. Last time I checked, my two- and three-year-old never understood a thing. But what they knew is you either do that or you're getting it. There comes a point where understanding follows that. But it, sometimes obedience comes before understanding. Especially in a baby's life, a young child's life. 
They've got to learn to obey. Sometimes they don't understand why they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do, but they find they get a heart of obedience. But we need to help our young, our young convert. Yes, give them the verses. Lead them into that thing. They say, well, I think I understand it. Yes, teach them what they're supposed to know. But sometimes just simply knowing that you need to be baptized ought to be enough. It ought to be. I think people ought to want to be baptized just because Jesus was. If I had no other verse in the Bible, I think just because Jesus was, and I said, Jesus wants you to follow in his steps to be like him, I'll do it. I mean, I get to be baptized like he was. If it was good for him, I want to do it too. Baptism. John, and I know some people think that's just too simple, but you know what? We complicate things way too much. So complicated, we're getting nothing done today. That's the problem. It's just too complicated. You know, I need a plan of follow-up. No, just follow up. You don't need a plan. Call them. Stop over and see them. Visit with them. Encourage them from the Word of God. Well, I don't know, but on the first time I need to do this, I need to do this, second time I need to do this. Just do it. You don't need a follow-up plan. You just need to follow up. See, we're complicated. It's way too complicated. Number two, the disciples of Jesus baptized others as well. They baptized folks all the time. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, Jesus didn't run around baptizing people. It's hard to believe that if baptism was part of salvation that Jesus wouldn't have been saving people. I thought he came to seek and to save. How's going to he didn't baptize nobody then? Maybe because baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Could that be? Well, there's a bunch of people out there that believe that you've got to be baptized to be saved. Well, Jesus never saved a person, even though that's why he came then. Anyway, moving on. Common sense destroys a lot of theology. And it all begins with the Bible. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples... Also, number three, Philip's converts in Samaria were baptized. Remember Philip? If you recall correctly, the Jews were the ones that Jesus was meeting with, he was working with. All of a sudden, after his death, burial, and resurrection, and the rejection of the Jewish council and the Jewish people there at the stoning of Stephen, all of a sudden now a transition begins to take place. God ceases to deal solely and completely with Israel and He begins to expand His outreach. And now, all of a sudden, He's dealing with the Samaritans who were half-breeds. They were half-Jews. They were half-Assyrian. In 721, there was, a, there was a, uh, a group of people who went into Assyrian captivity. They began to intermarry with the Assyrians. And it, a group of people came out of that, Jew and Assyrian, called Samaritans. So now God is opening up the door of salvation to the Samaritans. There Philip's preaching now and he's teaching the Word of God. And many are being saved. And those that were saved were being baptized. But when they believed Philip's preaching the, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Again, in Acts 8.12, we see that transition taking place. And we note that Bible believers are being baptized now. It's a pattern being established in the New Testament. C, the believer's confession. We note that baptism brings with it a somewhat of a confession. It's a stating a truth. The Ethiopian eunuch, he confessed his faith. 
Look over in the book of Acts chapter 8 again. Remember, Philip now, he's dealt with the Samaritans. He's worked with the Samaritans. And now he's whisked away and he meets up with an Ethiopian eunuch on the road to, uh, on, in, in the desert. And notice as he works with this man, chapter 8, verse 36... I'm in the book of Matthew. It would help if I was in Acts. There it is. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. Talking about the eunuch and Philip. See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized, the eunuch says. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe. Hold on. That's where all the other versions stop. I just thought I'd throw this in for you. That's where the other versions stop. I believe. I believe the children. Here's songs about believing all kinds of stuff today. Years ago, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Some of you aren't even old enough to know what I'm talking about. I mean, are you kidding me? It stops there. It just drops the rest of it off. You know, it says things like, well, the, that it's not in the oldest and most accurate manuscripts. Who says? Who says? Were you there when it was written? They don't know that. They just make these statements based on what they call textual criticism. I'm a little bothered by that these days. Just to let you know, I'm bothered by it. I'm bothered with a, anybody that would want to take out the next phrase here. It bothers me. You call yourself religious, or you call yourself a Christ, you love Christ, but you'll take this out of your Bible. I believe what? What do you believe, Mr. Eunuch? Well, let's see. Chapter 8, verse 36. He says, make it verse 37. He says, uh, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. (laughs) And that's not something you want to leave out of your Bible. That's not good. A lot of them Bibles leaving it out. Watch, Watch what happens now. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Why in the world do we have to get all the way in that water? Can't we just get sprinkled? I'm just kind of curious, why in the world did they go into the water if they could have been sprinkled? Well, it was really hot in that desert, and they just thought it would cool them off. That not, has nothing to do with it. Remember again, what's a baptism signifying? What's it a picture of? It's a picture of death. The Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and your death, burial, and resurrection. You died that day that you got saved. You're not who you used to be. Don't tell me you can't overcome sin in your life. Because you're calling God a liar now. He said, boy, you're mean tonight. I think it's time we get serious about the Christian life. I think we've been playing games too long. I think there's too many souls out there depending on somebody. And I'd like to see that somebody be you and me. Akron is going to hell. If you think someone's out there reaching them, you're wrong. 
we don't get some of this stuff straight, and if we don't understand the severity and the importance of what we do, we don't realize how imperative it is for their well-being not to build Community Baptist Temple in number, but to literally provide them with hope in their life and their futures. We're going to miss out, and God's going to, God's going to be sadly disappointed, and those people are going to end up sadly disappointed as well. The Ethiopian confessed some things. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. You know when you get up in that baptismal water, you're confessing some things? You're confessing the same thing. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He's who He claimed to be according to the Word of God in the book of Romans chapter 10. Thou confessest with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Well, what's it to Jesus Christ? There's a lot of people named Jesus. I mean, especially in the, the Spanish community or the, the Mexican community. A lot of people named Jesus. That's not the Jesus we're confessing. We're confessing the Jesus that died on Calvary, the Jesus that left heaven as God and came as Emmanuel, God with us. And I say, I don't believe that Jesus is just a mere man. He wasn't just the carpenter's son. He was God in flesh. He died, was buried, and rose again to pay for my sin. And as I stand before you as a testimony of my faith in that Jesus who died for me, I stand with all confidence and I stand unashamed. The Philippian jailer and his household believed they were baptized. We could take time to read that. The Bible says, and when he had brought them into his house, excuse me, it says, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. Crispus and The Corinthians believed and were baptized. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. You receive Jesus Christ. You believe on the name. You receive the Lord and you are baptized. That's as simple as it is. I hear what the Word of God says. I believe the truth and I receive Christ and I'm baptized. That's the biblical pattern. Well, praise the Lord. I was able to share the gospel. They got saved. I'm going to get out of there before I run them off. When's the last time you've been back to talk to them? Well, you know, I, I, I meant to and, you know, I... I was going to, and I just assumed that the church was going to send a letter or something telling them that now that they're saved, they need to be baptized. Oh, I see. I see. Even though you're considered daddy or mama, you're going to abandon your baby. You're just going to hope they grow up to be good Christians without you. To obey the Lord Jesus Christ and to become a good citizen of heaven without any help from mommy or daddy in the spiritual life. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way in real life. It doesn't work that way in spiritual life. What a privilege we have to be a part of another life. To invest in that life to the point where they, we can watch them grow 
To see them take steps that bring prosperity to their Christian life. That's a privilege we have. That is not a burden. And yet it seems so often we view it as one. Well, you don't realize how busy I am. Yeah. You know the Bible talks about being ashamed of His coming. I believe with all my heart if there will be one thing I'd be ashamed for and probably will be still is that I didn't do as much as I could. You know, if you could do a good job, that's great. But if you could do better, then you haven't reached your potential. If you can ever do better than what you did, you have not reached your potential. And neither have I. People don't want to hear it. I know that's what people would want you to believe. How many of you have led a soul to Christ already since our team soul winning began? Would you stand up, please? You've led at least one person to Christ. Stand up, would you? Just one person. At least one. At least one. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, they're still standing, yeah. Yes, please. Please stand. It's important. I just want to tell all of you, it doesn't work. You can be seated. Not one of you believe me, do you? You know why they don't believe me? Because they know different. But you know what? And I'm not trying to be mean. There may be somebody in this room that doesn't believe it. Because you haven't seen it. You want to know something? The world's telling us it can't be done. So are churches and so are leaders today. You know why? They've never seen it. See, to me, when a pastor tells me that it can't be done today, that's proof positive he's not doing it. And I'm going to tell you something today. There are people out there that need you. They need me. You say, no, they need the Lord. Yes, but they'll never meet Him unless we introduce them to Him. Not only introduce them to Him, but then follow up with them and encourage them to take the steps necessary. Step number one is baptism. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, they do not grow. If it doesn't happen, their children never get it. If it doesn't happen, their life never changes. If it doesn't happen, their home is never changed and transformed. They have to be baptized. It's as important as any other command in the Scriptures. It's so important. It's the first step. If you've taken that first step, praise God for that. But what about others that haven't? I'm going to quickly run through this next one and we're done. Really, I mean it. I have a, a third one that I really, really want to spend time on. <laughs> so we're not going to get to it. The Apostle Paul joined the church family. He joined the church family. Again, the pattern of the early church is expressed in Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And again, in our text, we read in verse 19, And when he had received meat, 
he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. He's been baptized now, and all of a sudden now he's uniting with these believers. He's joined now with a church family. That is a natural progression for a believer. I didn't say that it was natural to want to go to church. There's nothing natural about going to church. There's nothing that says, I can't wait to give up my Sunday and give up my Wednesday night and give up my my Sunday nights. I love giving up all my time. But once somebody understands a couple of things, they begin to realize that it's part of God's purpose and plan for their life and that it will yield fruit. You know, sometimes we take that out of it. We look at it and go, well, now that they're saved, they ought to have this innate desire to just do all the right things. I don't know about you, but... I, I learned something growing up about my, 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 my marriage. My, I watched my mom and dad operate and function, and I realized that when dad and, treats mom good and mom treats dad good, everything turns out good. And I thought, I want things to turn out good. So therefore, I'm going to treat my wife good. Do you understand where I'm going with this? When I begin to see what God's doing in the lives of other believers, and I see that things are turning out good, I say, I think I want things to turn out good for me. So I'm going to go ahead and be baptized. I'm going to go ahead and join that church and start attending the services because I see some good things that I want for me and my family. We we, we try to somehow make it all so spiritual all the time. And it's not all spiritual... We're warring against flesh, he says. I wish that everybody that got saved had this great desire just to show up in church three times a week, go out soul winning, be faithful to God in every area of service and every area of life. I wish that was the case. But it wasn't that way in your life, and it's not that way in my life. I had to have somebody help me, teach me, encourage me, move me along the way. And you're going to have to do that with others in your life. Can you imagine if you said to your children today, you don't have to come to church if you don't want. Nah, don't worry about it. It's not important. I mean, it really serves no purpose. I mean, the football game's on this evening, or the basketball game just started, and, and you, you know, you're welcome to stay home and watch the game if you like. It's up to you. It's totally your choice. I wonder if any of them would stay home. I just wonder. I think they would. But you know what? Your whole life you're trying to train them up. Trying to instill in them some character and some integrity and some some standards and and even some, some ideals that ultimately will yield or prosper them. And we say, no, it's not your decision to do that yet. You're still too immature to make that decision. Let me help you. You need to be there. It's imperative that you're there. And it's no question, be there. And if I could do that for every new convert that I led to Christ, I would do it. But I can't. They're not my child, so to speak, physically. But what I can do is go say, listen to me, Joshua. I noticed you weren't in church and and you just, I mean... 
In, in the Word of God, I don't have my New Testament on me right now, but I take my New Testament and say, you, you, now let me ask you, last week we talked about it, and, and you said that you believe that you are a sinner and that Jesus Christ, do you still believe that? Yeah. Okay, if you died today, are you still sure you'd go to heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. Joshua, you really got to be in church. It's so imperative and it's so important because if you don't go to church and if you don't ultimately get baptized, you can't grow. You'll never grow and you'll never experience the joy of the Lord in your life. You'll never be able to really grasp the concepts and the, the blessings of God. I promise you, you'll never regret obeying God's Word. Can I count on you this week? I want to see you there Sunday. You know what we do? We believe this so much. It's, we know that he'll never grow without church. We know he'll never grow unless he gets baptized and we go up and say, Hey, I missed you, man. Hope you'll be there next week. Just wanted to come by and invite you out again, okay? God bless you, man. See you Sunday, I hope. Is that passion? What, what is that? You know what that is? That's somebody whose fear trumps truth. I let my fear trump the truth. What I mean by that is, the truth says that if he doesn't get in church, he's going to be wrecked and ruined. But I say, no, it's more important that I'm not looking like a fool or I feel like I'm pressuring or I feel like I'm stepping out where I don't belong. So my fears trump the truth. And what it does really become is about me, not about him now. See, it's selfish not to want what's best for him. It's selfish not to teach him the truth and then to demand it of him in a sense, to say, you're a child of God. And as a child of God, that is what God demands of you and commands of you. I'm telling you, you will never regret obeying God. Hold on. Hold on. Isn't it worth it to take a chance on how he thinks about you and feels about you? I'm not talking about you. You be in church. God commands it. No, I'm talking about passionately telling him, listen, look at these verses in Matthew. The Bible says you need to be baptized. I want you to see right over here, these men here, and, and I want to see the examples God gives. And boy, I tell you, baptism is so important. And you know, you can't grow unless you've been baptized. And if you don't grow, you won't experience the blessings of God. You want to be blessed by God, don't you? Of course you do. We all do. I want to see you blessed. I'm telling you, man, you need to be baptized. You got any other questions for me about baptism? No. And the only thing left to do is to do it, isn't it? Listen, Sunday. What are you doing Sunday? You got nothing going? You say sleeping in? Guess what? 11 o'clock. The service starts at 11. You got plenty of time, man. Come on now. You know what I'm doing? You say you're pushing him. No, I'm not. Really, all I'm doing is trying to convince him. But I'm going to tell you something. If I can push him, I will. You know why? Because he needs to be baptized. That is so imperative and important in his life. And if he don't take that step, he is never going to grow in his Christian life. It won't be me that's hurt because of that. It'll be him. And it'll be his wife. And it'll be his children. And one day they'll die and go to hell because I didn't do what I could to compel that man to get things right. Because if he isn't baptized, and if he don't join the church and be a part of a local assembly, he will be rebellious and disobedient to God. And God can't bless a lifestyle that's in rebellion to him. Listen to me. I'm doing him a favor right now. I'm encouraging him to do the right thing. I'm not mad at him. I'm not yelling at him. I'm just saying, here's what the Word of God says. You know, a lot of times we don't do it too because we don't know the Bible. We just downright don't know the Bible. 
Why do you think I, I wrote that track? Why do you think I did that? So that you didn't have to memorize every little detail. You can literally just go right through it. Listen, you, do you understand how simple this can be? But you realize how detrimental it will be if we don't help these people get, get to the place where they need to be, take those simple steps? Out there today is a world that is in hurt. They're hurting. What's the answer? You say, well, I'll tell you, the economy's bad. You really think that if they had a better paying job, that would solve all their problems? Well, if they, you know, I saw a guy on the other side of the road the other day. His car broke down right there. If he just had a car, he'd be a lot happier. Yeah, I know. For how long, though? I, I, I mean, we are, we are trying to solve permanent or eternal issues with temporal solutions. And God's saying, no, you, you, don't, you don't fix problems in lives like that. You fix them by obeying me. They need me more than they need anyone or anything else. Do you believe that tonight? See, if you don't believe that in your own life, you will never convince that man or that woman over there that he's the only solution for their life. And I'm going to tell you something. If the only response you have is, well, that's what we do at our church, then you don't really believe it. And if you do believe it, you haven't taken any time to know why you believe it. And that's almost just as bad. I want to encourage you to become the Christian that can lead others to righteousness. To step out and say, I don't care if I work a job outside of the church. Doesn't matter if I work 50, 60, 70, or 80, or 100 hours, as Mr. Trestle talked about in his little tapes. I loved it when he said, You know what it's like working 100 hours a week. He goes, I don't know where in the world this 40 hour week work came from. Jim Trestle said, He said, Oh, yeah, well, he, look what he did. Yeah, well, I think he got railroaded personally, but nonetheless. I like that kind of attitude. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care if you work 100 hours a week, your first responsibility is to know this book. And so is mine. I, read, I heard about a pastor this week, and this happened some years ago, so don't try to figure it out. Somebody came to him, one of his members came to him and asked him, he said, can you tell me a little bit about your Bible reading? He's a younger Christian trying to figure out what the standard should be. You know how it is. We give him the impression that just a couple, two minutes, every two, pray two minutes, read your Bible two minutes, give 20 bucks a week in the offering, you're good to go. You know how it is. That's what a new Christian thinks. I mean, they don't know any different. This man was serious. He wanted to figure out what it was. He wanted to know what it took to become a man of God, what it took to be the Christian that God intends him to be. He walks up to his pastor and he asks him that question. The church ran just around 1,000. The pastor said, well, about now, I'm just a bit, I'm just so busy right now putting together lessons and messages and, and, and I, I'm preaching out and I'm doing all these things. I really don't have a lot of time to kind of to, to, to take, to, to have those personal devotions right now. I'm just kind of overwhelmed with my schedule and keeping up with things. Two months later, he ran off with a secretary. Can I tell you something? That's exactly what happens with all of us. We neglect this Word. We neglect our time with Christ. We neglect that relationship with the Lord Jesus. We don't take time to dig and learn and grow. We'll be castaways. 
And I'm telling you tonight, they're counting on us. They don't know it, but they are. And I want to encourage you to say, I'm going to be that person that can explain it and can encourage it. And I want to be that person to just light a fire. How blessed are you today? Man, I can't even describe the blessings God's given me. (laughs) Can't even begin. Honestly, there's times in my life, and and I even hate to say it, I'm going to say it though. There have been times in my life where I really didn't care whether they had the blessings I have or not. Because all that matters is that I had them. Let's not do that any longer. Let's make it a point to say they matter. They matter enough that I'm going to go ahead and study it, learn it, and then encourage it in everybody I come in contact with. Because that's what's best for them. Not what's comfortable for me, but what's best for them. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together.